welcome to another episode of Paranormal, The New Normal. I am your host as always, Jeremy, trying to bring a little normal into this world, which these days seems impossible. My guest tonight, though, I'm excited to have him because as soon as I read his bio, I had to get him on the show, especially with the main topic he's an expert on. But we'll get into that in a bit. My guest tonight is David Edward. David, hey, how are you doing tonight? I'm do- doing good, sir. How are you? Can't complain. Doing pretty good. Good. And I, I get to talk about one of my favorite subjects tonight. So, I'm. but we'll get to that in a second. And actually, sure. we'll get to it right now because the first question I ask everybody in the show is, what got you into the paranormal supernatural world? Yeah. And as we, we were just talking, you know, there's a couple ways I could answer the question. Um, you know, my my kind of claim to fame right now is the, the Atlantis book, um, which is more alternate history than paranormal, although there's some interesting things about it. So we can talk about that. And then also, as I mentioned to you, I, I actually owned a house that was haunted. Um, so I'm more than happy to talk about that uh, as well. Ooh, well, we'll definitely be hanging on both those subjects tonight because as someone, I live in a haunted house as well. So I am definitely interested in that part as well. Okay. 100%. But, but yeah, well, my second question on the show is always, have you had any experiences? And as you just said, you lived in a haunted house. So I'm sure there's a few experiences in that situation. Yeah. And it was, you know, so going to with the haunted house, we had a house in a place called Central City, Colorado, which uh, is it's very famous. Um, it's it's uh, just a hair west of a town called Blackhawk, which is now more famous. But Central City has the real history. And it was a mining town. So it kind of formed in the 1850s and 1860s. And the infrastructure um, was still pretty much what was there in its boom. Matter of fact, there's probably less infrastructure um, than maybe in like 18, the 1890s because it was a gold it was a gold rush town, and we bought a little house there. Um, and uh, th- there was some it was very nice haunting, if you will. You 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 would it, stuff would move, especially in the kitchen. Stuff would move, um, and then you would catch stuff out of the corner of your eye. But it was always um, it felt very motherly or very paternal versus threatening or anything so we would my wife and i this was a second house of ours we would actually we'd go up and we stayed by ourselves we always mentioned yep you know the ghost was there but we never felt threatened or we never felt uncomfortable staying there by ourselves so it was really it was really interesting so did you guys ever actually see anything like see any kind of entity or yeah just always out of the corner of your eye it was it was kind of the classic um a dark figure that looked like a person moving you know, the big place you always would see it would be on the other side of a door frame which i always I, I always thought there was something to that but i could never quite figure it out the way the house set up you went in and you kind of had a main room and then behind that was a kitchen and there was no real divider you stepped down into the kitchen but there wasn't a door or anything and then to your left was kind of like the sitting room and it was always to that door on the left and then there was a bedroom back around there too and you, you'd always see something in that room moving um not always, but, you know, you catch it out of the corner of your eye. And then stuff in the kitchen would absolutely move. A lot of stuff would fall off the, the cabinets or the counters um, and uh, and get moved around. But nothing scary, like never like at 2 in the morning where all of a sudden it's like crash, boom, or anything like that. It was just always weird, mischievous type stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because as people on the, as my listeners on my show know, my house is haunted. I have. I believe at least the couple that built the house living here still. And I, it could be more than that. We're actually bringing someone in in November to help cleanse the house because it's getting creepier. Is it? But uh, yeah, one of them likes to apparently stroke my girlfriend's hair, my girlfriend, my wife's hair and likes to uh, touch her shoulder. So it gets as, as far as it's gone so far, but I don't <laughs> want it to go in. Yeah. And, 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 my five-year-old daughter's room is always very cold when you yeah. go in like colder than the rest of the house, which kind of creeps me out. Cause I'm like, why are they chilling in the room of a five-year-old girl? Like that kind of creepy. <laughs> well, you're, you're the expert on this. I mean, I, and I, I actually know some about it. This is a, this is a fun topic. And I, I've uh, like, I watched ghost adventures. I started on ghost hunters until they kind of got called out. Um, so, I mean, I know, I know the pop paranormal theories on, on all of that stuff. Um, and you know, I mean, the ghost adventures theory is if it's in a kid's room, it might not be good. Yeah. That's kind of my theory too. Cause yeah. I swear to God, when we first moved in and my daughter was asleep, like I would see creepy shadow movements on the wall that I didn't yeah. want to see. And I was just like, 
that stopped. I don't know why, but that stopped. And now it's just like, uh, I don't know. I just, I just want my house to be cleansed so that hopefully you can get this person can help them move on. And this person was actually on my show a few episodes ago. Her episode hasn't been released yet either, but I'm very behind on releasing episodes. I, I have a lot of backlog, but it's good though. But, it's good, good problem. Oh, it's yeah, it's a good problem to have, but it's a. Uh, I'm the one who's got to edit them all, so <laughs> that's the other part of the problem. But so enough about me. But so yeah, I mean, living in a haunted house, like I don't know, I don't know what to think either. Like, and the funny, the point I was getting to is, we have, we originally had like five remote TV remotes in this house because we have a bunch of Roku TVs, so. We yep. had five remotes. We are down to one remote for all the Roku TVs, and I don't know where they went. I've cleaned every room in this house looking for them, <laughs> and they don't seem to be anywhere. I've cleaned every room in this house from top top to bottom, searching for them. And I look all around our yard because sometimes our sometimes my daughter likes to take things outside with her yeah. and forget that she took them. Yeah, and I can't find them. I'm missing right now. I'm missing at least three remotes. Three remotes are missing right now. Yeah, so it's just annoying. Well, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big Roku guy. We, I, I've had since the very first Roku that that just happened to be the one I picked. You know, and um, without the remote, those things are hopeless. They true. Uh, you have I have an app on my phone, but oh, okay. because it because my TV because the one in my bedroom is not on and there's no button on the side to push it on. <laughs> yeah, I can't connect. I can't actually. I even turned it on with my daughter's remote that she has and i can't connect to it so it's the damnedest thing i just can't figure it out and i'm hoping the remotes are somewhere and i just find them eventually i don't want to have to buy new ones Ugh. i'm sure they're they're, they're somewhere that i the, my experience with the paranormal is it doesn't make stuff disappear it'll move stuff but it doesn't make it just vanish completely other than socks i guess but that's a whole other story yeah those are the underpants gnomes but <laughs> right but so let's talk about well, any other experiences in your life before we move on? Actually, I say. Well, know. let me let let's get to let's get to Atlantis, right? That that's that's the interesting thing. My life, um, I don't know how interesting it is, but Atlantis is pretty interesting. Yes, it is. <laughs> Which I've actually I've talked about Atlantis here and there in this show once in a while. Like, Have if, you? especially if we're talking especially if we're talking about mythology, I'd bring it up. Mm. But I mean, because we all know it dates back to Greek mythology, and I believe it was even Socrates. I want to say or. Plato Plato, Plato 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 wrote that Atlantis and Greece went to war at one point supposedly yeah so very much which I I mean and so I'm no expert on any subject though I did want to say that because <laughs> you said I'm an expert I'm like I am not an expert in any subject I just like to listen to a lot and read a lot so, right, well, but, well in, in, after the next 40 minutes you're gonna be an expert on Atlantis I'm all for that I'm all <laughs> for that yeah I mean so do you want me to, do you want me to set it up for you why don't you tell us first what made you want to get into Atlantis and what made you want to research it? Sure. So, um, you know, growing up, I was a nerd. No, no two ways about it. Still am, obviously. Um, but yeah, you know, and I grew up. Just a hint, I'm I'm a, I'm a kind of an old guy. So I grew up. You know, I was born in the '60s, but I kind of grew up in the '70s and the '80s. And um, unlike today, you know, you had TV shows, but you only had the three or four networks. And eventually there was a local cable channel and there were books. So, you know, it's like today, if you're interested in Atlantis, you just go to YouTube and type in Atlantis and you, you've got, you know, six weeks worth of videos um, for uh, uh, for me growing up. That wasn't the case. So looks like I've lost you. Hello. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Keep going. I'm listening. I just got to do something real fast. Okay, yeah, no worries. Okay, yeah. So anyway, so you know, it was just one of those things where there was content to it, and I read all the books. I read um, uh, Finger uh, Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Danigan. I watched all the shows, you know, that that were around during that time, and it just was interesting. I kind of ran through the material, ran out of stuff, ran out of the, um, you know, the the entertainment level to it in the '80s. So I switched over, and as I graduated high school, I started reading a lot of the the classic Greek literature, just because that that's where Atlantis takes you. And you can only listen to what other people have tell you about when they read it for so long. Um, so you wind up, when you do that, uh, you wind up in uh, two of the platonic dialogues, uh, something called Critias and something called uh, Timaeus, which are the two dialogues where Plato talks about it. But you also end up with a lot of the, what they call the classical Greek literature. So I've, I've read Herodotus. I've read uh, a variety of plays. Um, and Herodotus wrote this thing called the histories. And so I just, I knew a lot about that stuff. Um, and then... I had listened to all the paranormal 
is the new paranormal shows that I possibly could in, uh, in earlier this year. And so, and so YouTube handed me um, uh, this uh, video by this guy named Jimmy Corsetti on a channel called Bright Insight. And uh, it was a documentary about Atlantis. I hadn't thought about Atlantis for decades um, when I watched this, you know, about eight months ago. And uh, this guy, Jimmy, he thought he had found it. And then he laid his case out, and I was really intrigued by it because I thought I thought there was something there. Now, because I had done a lot of my own research and I had read all the what they call you know the primary or the source material, um, I thought his explanations were pretty good, but he missed a few things. Um, I thought that he misinterpreted some things, so I wanted to jump in on my own and see if I could independently verify uh, kind of his findings. And sure enough, I did, and that's that. The result of that was this book that I've written called. Uh, Atlantis solved the final definitive proof because it is very definitive when, when you go through it, that the place has been found. We now know where it is. And what we're the, the question we have now is now that we know where it is, now what? What, what do we do with that knowledge? Uh, which, where did, he, where did he think it was? That's my kind of my curiosity right now. Yeah, so it, was. so it turns out that it, the city of Atlantis is in the middle of the Sahara Desert, which uh, is kind of a fun place for it to end up. And it's actually in the Western Sahara, in a country called Mauritania, which um, is right below, it's south of Morocco. Um, and when you look at a map, when you're looking at the, the big swoop of Africa on the western side that goes out into the Atlantic Ocean, pretty much that whole country is Mauritania. And then this location is um, a couple hundred miles inland, which we can talk about, which is a really interesting because everyone thinks Atlantis sunk into the sea, which isn't actually what Plato says. Um, but when you look at it, it looks like Atlantis. It looks like the city. It's it's got a center uh, landmass, and it's got what would have been alternating rings of land and water. It, it was in a climate that uh, had a lot of rainfall, um, and it meets to get what Plato's description of Atlantis is, which is our primary source for Atlantis. It meets at like ninety nine over ninety nine percent. So I mean, it really nails that all the features he gives that could be measured can be found in this Rishat structure in the Western Sahara. Which is completely opposite of where everybody else always thought it was. Everybody else always yeah. assumed Atlantis sunk into the ocean. I mean, Future Futurama yeah. even did a great parody episode about Atlantis sinking into the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it, and here's and here's the cool thing about it. Well, the interesting thing is this particular structure, this Rishat structure, it can only be seen um, from the air. Now, not 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 like the, not like the NASA lines. Not like they built it so it could only be seen from the air. But but it's just it's so big when you're on the ground, you, you don't pick up on the fact that these are concentric circles that go all the way around. You don't pick up on the structure. So it was actually first identified, I think, the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. It might it might have even been before NASA. Whatever whatever was before NASA when they started working on the space program. Um, oh. Um... They, yeah, whatever, whatever that was. But it, it was pretty quickly it became NASA. But anyway, it's such a unique landmass that the early satellite um, uh, shots and the early manned um, programs uh, used this Rishat structure as a visual, visual landmark. So they knew where they were when they came around um, uh, the Earth. And then they could see this and they knew that it was a couple hundred miles to the Atlantic Ocean. You know, and they knew where they were. So they used it from a positioning standpoint. Uh, but yeah, so it was only, it's only been known since the 60s. And no one else ever tied this to Atlantis before. That's why I find it interesting. Well, a lot of people started to. So um, I, I, I originally thought Jimmy was like the first one to break the news. And he, he, his videos came out in 2018. Um, but then I, I dug into it and it, it's been kind of, um, I found like a couple local news channels that jokingly said it looked like Atlantis. And there's this other guy, David Stig Hansen, who's, who's actually there right now. So we, we actually have a number of things going on. But David Hansen, he had been there about a year ago because he, he wanted to look at it. And he's back there right now. There's a number of tests we're running because there's a couple different areas we found where we think um, we can bring back and do some chemical analysis. Uh, and I can explain why chemical analysis is the, is the right thing to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it's it's just it, it had to be put together and, and it had to kind of catch fire. You know, it had without the internet and the ability to go viral and all that stuff, I, I don't think the word will be out um, because it was only YouTube and the, and the nature of the ability to communicate this that kind of allowed it to work its way into, um, you know, the social consciousness just so like I could find it. I wouldn't have found it without YouTube. So it's all very modern, all very new is a phenomenon that's helping us here. Which... So Atlantis, 
what do we still think that does he still believe that they're like a we're a highly scientific race like that were advanced beyond us even like at that point no <laughs> no, yes. no. So I, I, I often, I, I'm basically, I'm like the Grinch who stole Christmas. All right, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, look, Christmas is going to happen. You've got all the presents lined up, and we're all, you know, Atlantis is like those presents with the with the wrapping paper on it, right? It could, it could be anything. Um, the challenge is just like, you know, when, when I was a kid, anything I got, I got at Christmas time. So if I needed a new pair of tube socks, they'd show up at Christmas time. Um, so what's in, you know, what, what was in my Christmas packages weren't near as excited as the wrapping paper around them, but, but that's the same thing we have here. So when we use that term advanced, especially when, when Plato says advanced, or when we're talking about the time period, which, which we can get into, um, which is 9,600 BC, by the way, when Atlantis was destroyed, I can tell you how we get to that date. There's a, there's a couple of ways to get there, but they were, what, what they were very advanced at was they were very good at agriculture, um, uh, way, way more so than the Greeks of the time. Uh, or Proto-Greece, or whatever was going on, you know, around the Mediterranean, 9600 BCE, uh, and they were also the the first society we have any um, account of that organized themselves in a very interesting way. What what they did is they said Atlantis it had ten provinces. It had the capital, which was ruled by King Atlas, and that name is very important. Um, and then it had nine provinces all over the place, all over the the Atlantic and in the Mediterranean and everything. Um, and those were ruled by princes, but they had, they basically, they invented NATO. So what they said is for all these kingdoms, all these provinces, uh, we have a rule and the rule is we, we're not, we can't go to war with each other. We don't fight each other. And if anyone attacks any of our provinces, then all of the provinces, all the kingdoms re re respond. Um, and, and those are the ways they were advanced. They were very advanced socially, which Plato liked. That's why he picked them. He, he loves um, trying to give examples of ideas that he has. And then they were very advanced agriculturally. And we have the historical evidence to support this. The time, right? The timing is perfect for those two types of advancements. Which, yeah, it is. Because at that point, the Greeks were constantly fighting the Trojans, the Romans, and everybody else, like, and the Egyptians. But yeah, the, the Greeks were good at war. Um, now, what we're talking 9600 BCE. Um, which means that um, just before what we know as Greek or even classical Greek, this would be what we would call the, the proto-Greeks. This would be whatever the civilization was that was present in Greece that preceded the um, Mycenaeans. Um, but yeah, the Greeks are good at war. And, and we know the Atlanteans, for all they were good at, they weren't better than these proto-Greeks at war because the Greeks beat them back. The Atlanteans, it, uh, Plato tells us that the Atlanteans uh, invaded uh, Libya in, in, as far as Egypt and the northern parts of, or, or the southern parts of Europe, which is the northern part of the Mediterranean, um, all the way inward to Greece. So they invaded all that, but when they got to Greece itself, the, the, the story is that the Greeks were like, nope, and then a big war ensued, and they fought them all the way back to their capital, which is when the disaster happened. Which, yeah, it makes sense, and we'll get into the disaster in a second, but one of my co-hosts, my other show, actually actually has a question. What are the odds of the high-risk status of Mauritania and an attempt to hide these Atlantean structures from the public? I think that's part of it. So we deal in order for David, who's there. When I he is the lead on this, I don't want to make it sound like since I know what he's doing, I was more involved. Although I am helping with some of the funding and I've been involved in the planning. But when you go to Mauritania, you have to negotiate your way in through the government. Matter of fact, we we actually were dealing with the president of Mauritania's office um, to get permission to do some of the things we wanted to do. And this place, I mean, it's it's the Sahara Desert. So um, there are towns and there is infrastructure and all that, but it's it's not like I live in Florida. You know, there's not a mall you go to. It's not nice like here. Um, and they are very protective of the area. I don't want to say secretive. That's because that's not exactly right. They're very protective. And a lot of that protection comes not from um, a national a national strategy to, to, to choose my words very carefully. It comes from the fact that since um, Jimmy Corsetti's video kind of broke about four years ago, there's, been, there's a tourist industry now for this thing. Um, so uh, the, the, they're managing it as a tourist attraction versus um, an, an academic discovery or like what this question suggests, something that would be hidden they don't want to hide it necessarily um but they've created such a 
bureaucracy around getting to it that it's almost the same effect because I mean they have a they have an uh, in the country you're not allowed to fly a drone uh, for example they have a law now you can still you can still do it but you got to get through like six different custom checkpoints and if they find any of the things you're not allowed to have they'll take it so um, what we had to do I mean we had to put in you know we had to send multiple drones and we have to send other items like we like a big buoy hunting knife so maybe we can get them to take the buoy hunting knife and not keep going through the bags to find the other stuff and the same thing getting it out and getting it out you got to be more careful because it's like if we don't get permission to take like a sand sample they, I can't, we can't have Dave stuck you know in, in an Islamic country going to jail because he's trying to steal part of it or something so there's all kinds of layers that you have to be really careful. Um, so I don't think they're actively trying to hide it. I think just the nature of the land around it and 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 the structure of things keep it hidden, um, if that makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, but what makes me think about it, though is, do we think there's actually like if someone did an ancestry test, could there possibly be like Atlantean D like DNA still coursing through some blood nowadays? It's a good question. So, you know, I've, I've actually, it, you know, and that comes up. So the, the, the DNA helps us and it confuses us when it comes to this location being Atlantis. It helps us in that the general um, uh, philosophical academic overlay for people is that our, all of our DNA originates out of Africa. It, it's a common, well-known thing. Now, there's lots of layers to that. But my argument has always been, well, if that's the case, why is it so hard for people to accept that early advanced civilizations also can be found in Africa, right? Because if that's where we all came from, that, that means that's when they, when, they, when they fired the gun to start the race, that's where we all were. So there's a lot of, I think, I think that provides us um, uh, a lot of emphasis on this location. But then you have the other side of that, which is to interpret DNA you have to reverse engineer it, right? So you don't start with a location and then find people that have DNA from that location. You find people and you find what DNA they have, what theories do we have about the location of where the type of DNA comes from, and you got to yeah. kind of work it backwards. Um, so every person on the planet, as far as I know, including me, because I had a DNA test, although I regret having had it done because now those records are out there, but I had a very small percentage um, of DNA from West Africa. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was Atlantis uh, uh, because that's an interpretation made by the people that evaluated the DNA on where similar DNA came from versus like actual geography. Um, so I think DNA helps. I think the DNA tests are confusing at best, although all, all DNA points back to Africa and that's where this place is. So you can you can you really can use it any way you want to argue it, I guess, would be the way I'd answer it. Which makes sense. I mean, I actually had an ancestry test on couple years ago well actually like four or five years ago now but yeah and actually it actually led to me finding who my uh donor father was okay and a, a bunch of donor a bunch of half sisters and brothers but so very interesting it led to some very interesting results but i did have a small percentage of arabian uh blood, yeah i think they called it like so around that area of kind yeah. of but so I, th I think I mean, most people I think most people do, and I've 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 dug into it to see if there was anything there, and there's different um, letter designations they give, and they can trace them around. I don't think it helps us with Atlantis. I've tried to stay very focused on just the Atlantis stuff, so it doesn't the DNA course. doesn't lead anywhere when it comes to this question. Which of course it makes it makes sense that you would want to do that. I mean, yeah. Eventually, once more and more stuff's discovered, then maybe I mean. Are you guys eventually going to attempt like a dig or like a archaeological, so I, archaeological site? You know, if if I were Elon Musk or had you know unlimited money, then yes, but I'm, but I'm not, and Dave isn't either. So we kind of are we're shooting our financial wad, and he's he's fitting the bill for most of it to get him there a second time because we've identified a lot of locations that, that are interesting. Instead, what we're going to do the end of this journey, well, the end of this phase of the journey for for us um, seems to be. He's there. We're collecting tons of footage. I've got the, we've got the book written and it's been copyrighted. Um, we're working on putting a uh, documentary together. It'll probably be on Goya, G-A-I-A. -A. Uh, we'll probably be the distributors for it. It'll probably be two, three, four, five episodes, but it's just going to lay out the whole journey and make the whole case. And unlike every other, you know, 
documentary on Atlantis has ever happened, we're not going to end with, and it could be one of these three places and we don't know, we had a good time. We're going to show you exactly uh, where the proof is and where to dig. We know where to dig and it's not where this Rishat structure is. Um, and I, I don't want to go into the whole thing because that's what the doc, that's the whole, that's the whole twist of the documentaries. We found it. We know where to dig. Uh, it's close. It's close by. And you can, and a person could read Plato and figure it out just like we have. Um, but yeah, so in June, we'll, we'll put a map up with an arrow that says dig here, but I'm not going to try and fund that because I just don't have the, the means to, to fund it. Have you thought about reaching out for funding to someone like Elon Musk who might be going I, to, you know, it's in, it's in my head. I think I, I, I thought I, I was hopeful that the book would be enough credibility to, to, to approach someone like that. Um, but it's not, there's a, there's a lot of books and this is a kooky subject and people can't, uh, they, they can't digest a book in the same way they used to. So I'm hopeful that the documentary is the thing that opens doors, like opens the door to Joe Rogan, opens the door to Elon Musk, where we can make the case to put, put some money together, um, and go start digging holes. Uh, and, and cause we found it. I mean, cause we know, I know, we know what, the, I know what the stuff is, uh, and, um, and I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the implications of what we find is going to be. That's the whole point. But the whole point of this is to push human history back and establish that 9600 date, which is the end of the last ice age and the end of what they call the Younger Dryas. And, and that was the end of the last set of civilizations um, on the planet. And then something bad happened. And then it all kind of started over again. And then five, six hundred years later, we get the Greek Renaissance at least in Western culture, and then we kind of fire it all back up with the Bronze Age and all that stuff. Which, when do you think the actual destruction of Atlantis was? Was it during that part, or? Uh, it, it was uh, 9600 BC, BCE. Dead, dead on. So, and, and, that's, and that's an incredibly important date. That date comes from Plato. And the way we get to that date is Plato is recording, all, most of this comes out in, in one of the uh, dialogues called Critias. And it's where this fellow named Critias is recant is talking in a group and Plato is recording what they're saying and he brings up Atlantis as um, a, a real piece of history he, they, they, they go out of their way to say they, they believe it's real um, and then they talk about you know what the implications were. What, what was your question I lost I, I forgot your question <laughs> Oh, I was asked when you if you knew the date. When oh, the date, yeah, the date. So anyway, so the way so Cocritius gets so Critias, he has a document, he has a scroll, which is what his great 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 grandfather wrote on when he went to Egypt. And his great 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 grandfather was named Solon, S O L L O N, and he was arguably the Greek uh, that invented democracy. It's more complicated that, but the earliest idea of Athenian democracy you can get to is the Solon guy. And he was trying to figure it all out. So he went to Egypt, talked about lots of things because they're, they're an established you know, superpower at the time. One of the things they went over was the Egyptian history. And that's when they got to Atlantis. And um, they said that it happened 9,000 years before so they were they were telling Solon about it, and Solon was in 600 BCE, which is about 150 years ish uh, before Plato. So you take 600 BCE and add 9,000, you get 9600 BCE, which is an incredibly important date. It might be the most important date in recent archaeology and geography on the planet, because it, it's exactly the end of the last ice age, um, and something an event called a, the Younger Dryas. So there were three Dryas's, Younger Dryas, the Older Dryas, and the Oldest Dryas. Now, I'm not the one naming these things. I don't know. I guess they, 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 they didn't want to work too hard on it. And they go back in time. Each one lasted 1,000 or 2,000 years, and each one was like a, a, an ice age. Um, and during an ice age, what happens is the water on the planet, mostly the ocean, um, evaporates and becomes you know uh, rain and precipitation and all that. And then when it comes back down, uh, it, uh, some of it goes to the North and the South Pole, and it freezes. So over time, the, the poles, they get bigger. And, and there's, so there's less water in the ocean, so the water goes down a little bit, and the poles get bigger. And when they get bigger, now they get heavier. So there was a theory that was proposed in the 60s that, well, maybe they get so heavy that the ice shifts out to the poles, because that's what a regular ball would, that's what physics says should happen. Yeah. Um, and that could be it. That could be what happened. Um, or... Uh, some people think maybe a comet flew by and then there was a, a string of pearls trail where there was lots of impacts into the ocean that caused like tsunamis. Um, don't know. It, so, something big happened. It could be an earthquake. Um, but the, the younger Dryas 
at the end of the last ice age, it's accepted science that within the course of about a year, the temperature on the planet increased 30 or 40 degrees Fahrenheit, and all of the ice and these massive ice caps melted. Now, so some theories suggest they maybe melted in a day or two. Other ones say maybe a year. But remember, this isn't a water. This isn't a water up from melting ice problem. It's a if the ice is melting all in a day or even over the course of a year, all that weight is shifting over the planet because you know it's heavy. So it's heavy on the yeah. poles, and then as it and as as it melts, it gets lighter. But then the water goes out into the ocean. So it's it's you know, the weight is distributing, and you have this North Atlantic. Well, the Atlantic, not North Atlantic, the Atlantic Ridge, which sits basically halfway between uh, like Africa and South America and Europe and the U.S., it's very thin. Some of the thinnest land on the planet. And an, a very easy explanation for a tsunami at this time um, would just be that all this, everything that we know happened, happened. And the, the, the weight shifted and it did one of these, which is how you get tsunamis. And this was a big one. And it sent the tsunami um, over the coast of West Africa. Um, now, you would need a tsunami of about 1,500 feet high, which sounds terribly high. But just, in, in Jeremy, in, in your my lifetime, they've recorded tsunamis of like 1,700 feet high. So that's just in our lifetime. Yeah. It, could be, it could be much higher. Now, we've also, we found, we found non-fossilized whale bones dating back about 10,000 years um, in the Sahara Desert. Well, how would a whale get 400 miles or 300 miles inland? The, the only explanation is a tsunami-like event, and these aren't these aren't yeah. fossilized. This isn't when Africa was the bottom of the ocean a million years ago. This is this is current stuff. So, um, so so yeah. So that's the date, ninety-six hundred BCE, and what was going on on the planet in ninety-six hundred BCE? We were hip deep in what they call the pre-pottery Neolithic, um, which to break that word down, pre-pottery it is what it is, right? So it means before pottery in in our culture, and what that means, pottery is just we figured out we could get dirt wet and cook it and then it kind of held its form right that's pottery so this is before yep. before that and it's the neolithic um which just means neo and lithic so neo means new and lithic is stone so it's just the new stone age not to be completed with i think it's called the Me mesolithic or something like that yeah and paleolithic which is the middle stone age and the old stone age um, so but so we're, we're hip deep in that we're also hip deep in what they call the neolithic revolution so what we're seeing we this is the first time in history it starts about 10,000 bc so about 400 years before the destruction of atlantis we see the transition from hunter gatherer to stable agricultural societies H hugely important and the fact that plato tied not just the end of the last ice age to this destruction date but he also of the two things he says they were good at one of them was agriculture and we see agriculture in the Mediterranean forming at this time. So it makes complete sense they'd be good at it. Now, we also know that the Sahara Desert, which is a desert, it's 140 degrees there right now, you know. Um, but during this time, 9600 BC, it was what's known as the Green Sahara. Uh, and it's, it, was, it was like um, the, the Brazilian rainforest. That's not the right example. It, it was like, um, uh, I don't know, like Florida, where I am. So it's not quite as dense as a, as a rainforest. But, you know, it was, it was very fertile, it, ample rain, lakes, rivers. It was just a wonderful place to live. Um, so uh, we have agriculture. You know, we, so we have all these things. And, and they all tie into supporting the idea of um, this place being Atlantis. And, the, and that time period works perfectly. If he had picked any other time period, it'd be near impossible to check all the boxes and, and have it make logical sense. Um, but he picked the right time period. Yeah, which makes makes sense. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I mean, we all yeah. I've I've heard before that Sahara used to be like basically almost like a jungle, but not quite. Like kind of like a wetland was kind of like, like, like a wetland. Kind of, yeah, matter of fact, and amazing, especially in this part of it, an incredible amount of rivers and lakes. And I mean, Florida is the best example I can give. Because you drive around Florida, there's like you know, there's ponds, lakes everywhere, and it would have been just like that. Matter of fact, we're on about the same uh longitude is it longitude? i always get them confused when the one that goes this way um florida is about the same place on the planet as this rich ass structure is in africa up and down you know yeah which i'm trying to think because sahara if i'm not mistaken is south of egypt right like kind of um it is yes it, it is there's there's lots of desert south we are talking we are way west of that um so we are uh, south of Morocco and south of Libya. Um, 
obviously Mauritania, and then inland, Chad is one of the countries that's in there. Um, that, would, that would have been one of the eastern borders of Atlantis. Um, but it's just, so we're talking about what they call the Western Sahara. Okay, so um, Western Sahara would be, yeah, towards the coast, obviously. So, yeah, and, way, way towards the coast. And Africa's big, you know, but yeah, so so towards the coast. Which makes you wonder, like, what kind of, makes you wonder if they had any animals that we never even heard of that lived in that, like, Sure. Oh, I think so. I think so. He, Plato mentions uh, elephants, which are still, um, you know, th this is, this is, this whole area is north of the Ivory Coast. And of course, it's desert now, but it, it's, there are still elephants in the area, but it, it's very well known for, for, um, for elephants, which he mentions. And then there's other uh, source material that points to lots of elephants around Atlantis. Which meh, makes sense. Makes sense. So, trying to think of. Well, so do you so, want to do you want to know all the things that line up that he said and how it matches? Yes, because I mean, I I used to read this stuff like a long time ago in college, but it's been a long time since I read any Plato or Socrates or any of that. Great, sure. Great all right, so just uh, I've got a little I've got my notes here. All right, so we so let, let's just go through everything he says. So let, let's actually let, let's say so who is Plato? So where does this information come from? Let, let's talk about that. So we, we've mentioned Plato a couple of times. He was a Greek, what we would call a philosopher. He would not have seen himself um, as a philosopher. He actually uh, started the first college, the first university called the Academy. Um, I don't know if he would have seen himself as an educator either. He, he was more, I, I view him like a street reporter. Um, so he's, he's, he's documenting conversations and, and he's trying to figure out in, in, in the world he lives in, um, he's trying to figure out since society has advanced, what the best way to set up a, a city-state or a society might be? What is the what 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 do the rulers look like? What do the citizens look like? What do people need to know? What what's a good way to do it? What's a bad way to do it? Um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and in the dialogue, Critias, he's taking Atlantis as an example because I mentioned the NATO thing where they where they had a really good way of organizing and 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 protecting their you know keeping their friends safe and he liked that so so he was he was um he was focused on that but he but he goes he rattles off all kinds of things that can be measured so let's see what they are so the first he mentions that the climate has to support um uh, the climate of the soil has to support agriculture like we talked about well the green the green sahara does that um he mentions precious metals he he mentions that in atlantis um there's a or calcum it's, it's a weird word uh we can't we don't oh. know what it is it's funny because I play I play the Assassin's Creed video game series. Okay, and, yeah. And in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it's all about ancient Greece. And one of the one of the extra content you can get after the game was over was the Atlantis saga. Yeah. And that would be Orcalcum. And one of the one of the things you have to collect in that game and the next one is Orcalcum. It just randomly appears magically all over the map. But yeah. Yeah, no, that comes that that comes that is a direct straight line from Plato talking about Atlantis, and it's not mentioned anywhere else. It, it, that's the only place this thing comes from. Now we think that it was it might have been like a bronze gold mixture. Uh, some people think it might have been like platinum. No one knows. But Mauritania, it, its primary export is precious metals. So we're we're in an area that mines precious metals. Plato mentions uh, precious metals. He mentioned that. Um, the, the Atlanteans conquered Lib Libya as far as Egypt and uh, Europe. It basically as far as Greece. He uses a, a term tetrahydin or some some term like that, uh, which we can kind of guess where it is. Probably Italy-ish or you know Malta in, in there. Um, in order for the Atlanteans to want to conquer someplace, they have to be geographically related to it. So you know the other thing, um, Jeremy, make sure we we talk about all the other places people think might be Atlantis and whether they fit what, what he said or not. Um, but like people, they like, um, they like the Azor islands and they like, uh, Oh, they like um, uh, Antarctica. People like Antarctica for, for being uh, Atlantis. And I'm not saying there could have been advanced civilizations on there, but if you live in Antarctica, are you really going to sail 3,800 miles to go attack Libya? Why would you even care what's no. going on? No. So, so, the 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 capital of Atlantis has to be has to have a geographic proximity to Libya, Egypt, uh, Greece, and Europe. It just has because because that's who they're interacting with. Plato tells us that the the continent, the landmass it was on, is over a million square miles. He says it's bigger than Libya, 
and Asia Minor put together. And Libya is just kind of everything from Egypt up to the Atlas Mountains and then inland some in Africa. There's a couple other um, countries there now, but it's just basically that, that part of Africa. When you put those two geographies together, it, comes, it, it adds up to about a million square miles. So things like the Azores or Santorini or the Bimini in Florida, they, they're not big enough to be that. When you measure where the mountain range is in, in, the Western, in Western Africa, um, West Africa and Mauritania and all of that, you get a landmass that fits his description of about 2 million square miles. So by God, West Africa as a continent is bigger than Libya and Asia put together. It's the only place on the planet that solves for that, that has any kind of geographic proximity to Egypt and Greece, Greece and all these places. Um, he tells us that uh, they were very impressive mountains to the north, uh, but the, the mountains to the um, east weren't that impressive. And that's exactly what we find in, Af in, in this place, location in Africa. We have the Atlas Mountains, which are mountains to the north, bear the name of the king, King Atlas. King Atlas was the king of, of Atlantis. And, and in Morocco, these mountains still have his name. Um, and, then, and then when you get into Chad and the inner um, part of West Africa, you have lower lying, not as impressive mountains. But there's still a barrier to a continent in the same way that uh, the mountains that separate Europe and Asia today. Those are two. We consider those two different continents, and it's yeah. because because of the mountains, they're inaccessible and they're they're separated by great distances. Now, you can argue tectonic plates and all this other stuff, but Plato didn't know anything about that. I mean, you know, no, it, they it, that that's yeah. fairly recent developments, right? So, so it it fit it fits that. Um, he mentions that the structures uh, were built of red, white, and black stone. All of the stone in Mauritania and around this rich structure is red, white, and black stone. So it fits that description. Um, he mentions the classic thing we all know. He mentioned there was a center island surrounded by alternating rings of water and land. And if anyone listen to this, Google Rishat, um, R-I-C-H-A-T, and you'll get pictures of it because I'm not, I didn't invent this. I just, I just finished invent, you know, finished solving for it. But this place is the only place on the it looks like Atlantis. It looks, it meets that description. It has a center island and alternating lands of land and what would have been underwater because with the rain coming down, this is when it would have been in basically in the middle of a big lake. Um, so that's pretty huge. Then here's, here's a requirement. And I usually read this one because we've never heard this. It, it, this has never been, been culturalized or modernized. Um, but here, here's something he tells us about Atlantis. He says that the country, country immediately about and surrounding the city was a level plain itself surrounded by mountains, which descended towards the sea. Uh, it was even, it was smooth and even and of an oblong shape extending in the one direction, 3000 stadia. Well, that, okay. Well, what does that mean? So there's, let's unpack that. So what's the stadia? Start with that. that. That's the unit of measure that he uses in this thing. Um, he was, Plato was writing during Alexander the Great's life and the, the, the classic, the, the, the best definition of a stadia is what's called the Alexandrian measure, which is 607 feet. Okay, so if if he if if a stadium is six hundred seven feet, we'll just we'll we'll use that and see if it fits. It does fit, by the way. So three thousand of those things. Well, how how far is that? Well, if you multiply three thousand times six hundred seven and divide it by five thousand two hundred eighty or eight hundred twenty, whatever a mile is, what you get is three hundred forty five miles. So he's telling us right here that this thing um, was uh, three hundred forty five miles accessible by boats but 345 miles inland with uh, off a plane that gently sloped to the sea. Okay. Well, so then you look at the Rishat structure. Well, guess how far from the, from the ocean it is. 345 okay. miles. It, no, it, yeah. it, it, ma it, it matches. No, it matches. It, it matches. And there's no, like there, there is, there's no landmass you can find where you can go 345 miles and see there was a waterway, which, which, I, in the book, I go over all the visual evidence, and there's a lot of visual evidence. What you know, what you're looking for, but it's the only place. It looks like Atlantis, and it's the correct distance from the water. Now, one of the questions I get is, but you said the the the, the sea levels were lower, so wouldn't that affect the measurement? And and actually, it, it would affect the measurement. Um, what would what would? And I we, I have this in the documentary we're doing. We have um, some noted scholars on all kinds of things. One, one of them is on um, Africa. Uh, but what happens is when you get all that rain and the water is going down a river, because that's how 
waterworks and it's going to the sea, you get like what we have um, with like the Mississippi, let's say. There's lots of examples or, or the Nile in, in Egypt. And then when it comes to the water, you get what they call, you get a delta. Okay. Well, that delta brings the water inland and it happens. It just, ha the math just happens to work so that when you look where the continental shelf is and you add the delta in, it's about where the ocean is today. So in other words, so the measurement works. And if it's off, it's off like one or 2%. So it doesn't really affect the percentage. Um, so if it's not, if it's not a hundred percent, you know, it's like 98%, which is still enough for, for what we're doing. So that's hugely important. And this is the only place on the planet that, that does that. But there's a lot more things that Plato says that the, the Rishat lines up to. One of the things he tells us is that uh, the Atlanteans had to dig a canal from the outer ring to the inner ring, which had an inner harbor, which is that's where the palace was, where the king lived on, on the, the inside. Um, and he says that canal they dug, it was 300 feet wide, 100 feet deep, and 50 stadia long. Okay. Well, if we use our stadia calculation, what that's giving us, the, 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 the length of it, 50, which if you multiply that times 607, do all the math, it comes up to 5.8 miles. Well, that's, that's the radius of this landmass, right? That's the radius from the inner island to the outer ring. So when you look at the Rishat structure and you measure it, it's 5.8 miles from the inner ring you know, from the inside to the outside. So, so the radius fits and there is what is clearly would have been, if you added water to this thing, a big round inner harbor. So the inside of the structure even fits. Um, and it explains, because the, the center island is supposed to be pretty small, like five stadia across or something like that. So this harbor is what allows that math to work. So it's really quite amazing. The other thing Plato tells us is that Atlantis, the city of Atlantis had mountains to the north and was open to the south. Well, when you look at the Rishat structure, sure enough, it's got mountains to the north and it's open to the south. He tells us that it had hot and cold running springs. Well, people think this thing was a, a, a volcanic dome. And as soon as you introduce a volcano, you now have hot and cold water, right? Because we get those types yeah. of springs. So, yeah. He, he mentions, Plato mentions elephants. And I mentioned this area was well known for elephants. And, and you add in the, the climate differences for 10,000 years ago, and it would, it would have been ripe with elephants. Green mountains. Uh, we have the Atlas Mountains. They're very green mountains. That that all fits. Um, he mentions that it's outside what he calls the Pillars of Heracles, which we today view as the Strait of Gibraltar, right? Yes. And when you look at a map, if you take if you take your Google Map eyes off of it and you you allow the Earth to look like you would look to a sailor, this thing is directly out. It it's directly you come out the Strait of Gibraltar, you you follow the coast of Africa, which is how boats worked in this time period. It, you know, we're talking. You know, these are not huge sailing ships, even though they, they might be seaworthy. So if you could sail where you and get where you're going without losing sight of land, that, that's how they did it. And we and that's historically proven. We know that's the case. So you do that here. You wind up exactly where the entrance to, to Atlantis would have been. Um, now, and then the last thing I, I find uh, is that he says, Acritius says that the Egyptian priest said that Atlantis was on the way to the opposite continent. Which is which is hugely interesting, because this means in 600 BCE, etched somewhere in a wall in Egypt, was knowledge of the opposite continent, which we we think of as North America. They were actually talking about South America, but this whole this this whole new world was known, and and they wrote it down. It's in Plato. You can read it. They're talking about Atlantis being on the way to the opposite continent, and he's writing this stuff in four 400 BC. Uh, the interesting thing. So I was like, well, how do I test that? How do I test that? So I looked, I said, well, the only real test we have, the only time, the only recorded event we have was someone tried to traverse the ocean and not knowing what was on the other side was Columbus. So I'm like, okay, well, well how did Columbus get to the new world? What, what routes did he took? What did he take? Well, I mean, they're not do I, no, documented. Doc, that's not documented. Uh, true. I don't dispute. I, I don't. I, I believe Vikings. I, I believe it goes back hundreds of thousands of years. But the only documented account that we have right now is, is Columbus. We, it, it just is. We don't have the documentation on the Vikings. We can prove the Vikings. We can find where they probably lived and find anecdotal pieces and stories that look like they're talking about it. But Columbus just basically said he wrote in his journal day one. Okay, I'm trying to find, you know, the new world. We left Spain, and then we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this. And what they do is they, they go down to the Canary Islands, and then they try and go across much farther south, but they find they're out of the currents, which is why their first trip was a disaster. Remember, it took them like 10 weeks, and they were going to, they were riding, and they were going to, you know, uh, uh, mutiny and all that stuff. But he actually went four times. Um, the, the other three times he went, 
he went all the way down the coast of Africa and then across the tip, basically from the tip of Africa to the tip of um, South America, and he followed the currents over. You know, you don't actually wind up that far down, but that, that's just how, that's how that's how the ocean works. That's how you get there, and yeah. it's the exact same route that the Egyptian priests talked about on the way to the opposite continent. So, and that's it, and and that's everything Plato said. There's other there's anecdotal things he said and things that can't be measured, but as far as things that are measurable um, or observable and, and meaningful, that's it. That's the list. There's like 22 items, and this place checks every single box. Wow. I mean, I'm I'm still trying to process all that, but it, it actually it, it makes sense to me. It really does. And yeah. I mean, well, as far as I mean, people have been yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I, there's no documented proof of it, but I believe that North America was obviously found out a long time ago because they're all I, I mean i believe native americans on the east coast of north america have told tales of people coming over and passed down those legends i think i think graham hancock has do, has documented it i don't agree with everything he and he doesn't agree that this rich structure is atlantis he has a different world philosophy but I, I think he's being too narrow he, he's trying to find the first time as opposed to yet just the more, more recent time all that aside, he, his his one of his latest books, America Before, I think is what it's called. Um, it does a really good job up until the end of um, of just building the case that there's enough evidence that, that there were people here, you know, tens of tens and tens, hundreds of thousands of years ago, and then they were not advanced. They didn't have nuclear submarines necessarily. Uh, this isn't <laughs> an, an advanced culture he's finding, but he's finding more advanced than we give credit to, and, and certainly not empty. So kids <laughs> I know. and i've been watching uh watching the the struggle is real as they say right oh uh, you have no idea whenever <laughs> i try to do an episode a podcast episode when they're awake it's just they like to cause chaos for the mother but but Please. before we do end it though i do want to talk about where the places other places that are wrong that people have thought atlantis yeah. is because yeah. i always believed it was in the mediterranean ocean like sunken down like yeah that's what that's what they tell you, and 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 let's let's not use let's not say these other people were wrong. Let's just say they're stretching because because Plato lays it out. He said there, there's, when it comes to lands, there's basically three parts. There's the capital city, there's the continent, and there's the kingdom. So we talked about the capital city here. We've 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 alluded to the continent, West Africa, and and there's more we could talk about, but the case is made. But then we get to the kingdom, and I think a lot of these places that people find where they they find legitimate evidence that something was going on a long time ago you know before history prehistory all that kind of stuff yeah um i don't think they're wrong about something going on i just don't but then everyone wants to find the atlantis just like okay well maybe it's not the atlantis i was maybe it's not Atlantis with a capital a but maybe it's the kingdom so so here's what plato tells us is that there were i mentioned there were 10 uh provinces provinces kingdoms yep, whatever you want to call it yeah provinces um the main one is the capital city ruled by king atlas uh, then the nine others, he's and he he gives the names of the ruler, and he says that they are alternating uh, pairs of uh, male twins. There are five sets of twins. The, very, the firstborn of the first pair of twins is King Atlas, um, and then he lists the names of the other ones. I've always interpreted those names as the in the same way that Atlas, Atlas Mountains, Atlantis. That you know, it, it's it there's there's a linguistic history and memory in these names potentially so when you look at them i've identified one well so here are the places that people like they like the azor islands some people like spain some people like santorini some people like the bimini and bimini road and all that or cuba or, or the whole caribbean which is close to where i live uh, they like crete the minoans and all of that they like some people like malta i don't fully understand the malta one but some people are very passionate about it um some people like antarctica other people uh, they like um like the british isles maybe there are some islands that were exposed and then went underwater, all that kind of stuff. But so here's what we found. I mentioned at Atlas, Atlantis. Um, I think we can find the Canary Islands in 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 what Plato talks about. I think we can find um, uh, there's there's one place he mentions called Evimon, which is the name of the king, which which sounds a lot like Avalon linguistically. And I've had a linguistics person look at this. So people that like uh, the lore of King Arthur and all that stuff, Avalon, Plato. Yep. It gets pretty close to that. Um, the, the one I like the most, he, he actually says it's it's the eldest of the fifth set of twins. The guy's name is Azores, and he's he's the the prince of the diving islands. So it's like, okay, 
well, where'd the name Azores come from from the islands that we have that everyone likes as, as, as a thing? And so I looked and it came, no one knows where it came from, but it's a Spanish derivative. Okay. Lots of people like Spain and they think they found agricultural work accessible by the Atlantic Ocean a couple miles inland in Spain. They're like, well, that must be Atlantis. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Plato says they conquered parts of Europe. So it, it, it took, you can't, if, if you live in it, you don't conquer it. So I think the Spain is part of what they conquered and we start to see some of their technology their agricultural technology and we start to see some of their linguistic names like azores sticking so i i think it's all i think it's all laid out and i think that um all those other places fit within the kingdom of atlantis and have their own unique story that plato didn't document because he really focused on on the capital but he does mention them and i think that also alludes pretty um pretty well to the idea of this global maritime empire you know people could get around uh, yeah, and um, I think we find that in, in the dialogues. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because Atlantis has been talked about in modern culture since at least the I want to say fifties. Like, oh yeah, that's when people really started like, longer talking about it. Longer, yeah, well, longer. But that's when I, I think it's when it became like common knowledge that yeah, the myth of the legend of Atlantis. Yeah, at least to modern culture. But so I mean, it's interesting and. I look forward to watching your documentary. I really do because I I'm dying to see this place, and I I know I'll never go. Oh no, no, I know I'll never travel to Africa because I can't afford to travel to another state, let alone Africa. But well, yeah, but look, if you want if you want the same experience, just buy like 25 heat lamps um, and plug them in <laughs> and stand in the middle of a summer day for like you know three days, stand under them, try and sleep under them, and it's the same exact thing. I'm good on that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or just imagine it if you, if you don't want to waste the money on the travel lamps. Yeah, I, so. I can imagine it. God. <laughs> yeah. But, but so my message is, look, it's been found. Um, and the, I think that I think people, it's a visual medium. And the other thing I do point out is this place being Atlantis and everything I've said, none of it contradicts anything. It doesn't contradict any mainstream. You always use that term mainstream like they're wrong and they might be wrong, right or whatever, but it doesn't contradict any of the knowledge. I mentioned the time period pre-pottery neolithic i mentioned all that stuff i mentioned plato it, it it meets everything he said and it doesn't contradict um any of it so i think it's the unifying theory uh and uh the the question now just becomes oh and oh and then it's all visual so everything i've said and if you get the book or you just start reading plato everything any anyone can look and find the same things that i found so like any of these other locations someone has to explain it to you and you have to like take this mental leap like like for the azores it's like okay so I have to believe that a million square miles of land suddenly materialized out of the seabed where it doesn't exist, and then it exists. It's like, no, it doesn't work. But but for Rishat, you can go look at it. And as soon as you look at it, it's Google it. As soon as you Google it and you see your first image, you're like, yeah, that's it. And then we lay out all the supporting stuff. So I think the documentary will be a hit because it's, it's visual, and everyone can just see it. They can go through the journey with us as we lay the whole thing out. Exactly, which... I appreciate that. And yeah. Why don't you tell people where they can find anything about you they want to find or where they can find your books or yeah. anything? The, the publisher website is frequency99.com. Two nines are numbers, frequency99.com. And that's got contact info and all my books are up there and other other people's books are up there too. Um, the, the teaser trailer or the teaser poster for the documentary is up there. The Atlantis book is up there. You can link to it and go crazy. Frequency99.com. Well, I look forward to reading some of your books and I look forward to your documentary because it actually, I was looking at your books before and I wish we had more time to get into your other books you've written, but maybe I'll, have, maybe I'll have, to have you back on some point. Yeah. I've written a lot. I've written 45 books. It's a lot of books. God. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine writing that many books. <laughs> someday, maybe someday, but yeah, you can do it. It's just, uh, it's, it's just, it's just about one, two, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, maybe. But okay. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on, of course, David, because you have given us all you proven something that no one's been able to fully prove ever. Like that is, and, and that's my contribution. I didn't find this, but I I I proved it, and and yep. you can go and I did it in a way that um, people you can look at the details. It's not just you got to buy the theory or not. You can look every single step of the way, and you know, and and I tell people, look, if you find something I got wrong, even if I am wrong it probably doesn't affect the overall percentage because I broke it down to a percentage. So let's say it goes from 99% to 97% or 92% that this place matches. Still a match, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. 
Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. All, all my listeners, you know where you can find me. And I will see you all next time.